Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have. My very first Kona, I'll never forget. It was awful. Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc-based and water-resistant sunscreen. It's long-lasting, oil-free, and won't sting your eyes. I've used it, and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did you forget someone? Oh, that's right. And our very own Haley Chura. Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions, and toughest elements. They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the Sun Barrier SPF 45, the Twix Chamois Cream, Swim and Sport Shower Products, and the Body Lotion. You can use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for... Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hi, Haley. How are you? I'm down under this week and talking to you. Technology is amazing, though, that it feels like I'm still right next to you. Should you be saying good day or wait, is that that's Australian, right? <laughs> yeah. Good day, mate. Good day, mate. For sure. I love it. How is Australia? How is everything down under? It's it's fall. You went to fall. Does it feel like fall there? It's lovely. It feels it feels fall-ish, I guess. But honestly, I think the temperatures are like perfect because they're just mild. It's not too hot. It's like not too cold. Although I did do a group ride and there was not a big group at all because they were like, yeah, it's cold. Everyone's scared away. And I was there like, this is quite nice weather. So I think it's a little bit cold for locals. Yeah. Can you tell us, remind us, what are you, why are you in Australia? Did you just go for fun? You just went for that one group ride. 
Yeah, I just, you know, just a little plane flight because I heard that Thursday morning group ride is really, really cool. No, I came out to crew one of my athletes, Brianna. She was racing the Ultraman Australia here over the last few days. And so we came out, you come out a few days early so you can get everything prepped because it's quite a race. It's three days long and there's a lot to do. But so that was the last three days. Now she's finished. She is an Ultraman. It was, you know, a whirlwind of that. And then in between the racing, I've also been doing my own training, which has been fun. And I have to say, Haley, you know, I had heard so much about Noosa just in like my triathlon life, right? Because there's the infamous Noosa triathlon, which has been around since I, I want to say like the 1980s. And so it's like just one of those places. And it really is like being here. You can just see that triathlon is in the culture of the community here. And it's just the roads are super nice. They're really nice for riding. There's a bunch of pools, you know, the ocean, if you like ocean swimming, seems very inviting. Although, you know, I, I did go in once, but that was, that was no the sharks. of that. Did you wear your shark no, tag? I did wear my shark band. Or your shark band. <laughs> Uh, it worked. But we didn't have it any worked. incidents. So you're still yeah. here, right? So I live to tell about it. So that's good. But it has been really fun. Like I, I mean, it's just funny to think that since the days when Hillary, our my coach, um, Hillary Biscay, was here to train and race and stuff, you know the the same like groups that still exist so she was like sending me on the thursday morning ride and going to the swim squad with the coach that she knows and like all of these things which really allowed me to just kind of like assimilate into the triathlon life here and everyone has been super welcoming you know like this random woman shows up and is like hi i know you know so and so and she told me to meet on this corner and i could come on your group ride and the guy was like okay hop on you know like whatever and so and the same thing, then, you know, we're like swimming and then I'm talking to the, the ladies afterwards and they're like, oh, Mel, Mel Hoshalt was coming for coffee afterwards. They're like, have coffee with us. And then I realized that this, I was swimming with Jamie, who's Pete Jacobs wife. Right. So like very small community, everyone's just super welcoming, wants people to be getting out and like doing that. So that all has been lovely. And then of course the race experience has been really challenging you know like crewing a three-day race is very very hard can, um, wait can you remind me what the distances are for ultraman okay so day one is the 10k swim and then a 90 mile bike ride and then day two is a 170 mile bike ride and then day three is a double marathon so 52.52.4 mile run and and how many people are in this race like how many there are Start. There are 50 athletes, 50, yeah, 50 athletes. And then everyone, it's like kind of semi self-supported in the sense that you have to have a crew here crewing you. Like there's no aid stations out there. That's all the responsibility of your crew to get you through. And things are marked. So like the bike ride is, is loosely marked, I would say. But you know, when you have 50 athletes on the span of a 170 mile ride or, you know, even a 90 mile ride, it's like there's a lot of room for error. So the crew has to be really on the ball, making sure the athlete knows where they're going just because, you know, the markings are, are at important intersections, but there's a lot of other places where they just have to know where to go. Is it one loop for 170 miles or are you doing multiple loops? For the most part, it was it was like one big loop and then you did have one smaller loop kind of in the middle of it. But for the most part, like we were driving out into, you know, the countryside of Australia, which was fun. On the other side of the road. Are you driving? Did you drive the car? Oh, yes. We all had to take shifts. And actually, I have found that the left side comes much more naturally to me now that it's not my first time I'm doing it. In the beginning, like the first time I had traveled ever to New Zealand and done that, I was like 
totally, totally could not do it at all. But now I, I will say I've gotten more used to it. The thing that always throws me off though is the swimming. You swim circle swim the opposite direction right and so that takes me a second to get used to because you have to tumble turn as they call it here kind of like opposite right so you're pushing off going into the you know the the other side that you're typically used to and since my flip turns are not my strongest suit you know like I always would kind of like favor that side that I pushed to which puts me on the wrong side here so I have to adjust that every time I swim here the pool here in Bozeman actually like alternates lanes like the direction lanes are going so you can end up in like I call it the Commonwealth lane, <laughs> but I'm like Great Britain, Australia. And, um, where you have to swim the other direction. I hate it because I get kind of like seasick, like turning the other direction. I don't love it. Occasionally if I have to, otherwise if I get like a quorum enough people, I'm like, let's swim. Like we're in the United States, <laughs> but the do l- they do it because it helps with the direction, like having those lanes side See, by side. It only helps with freestyle. If everyone in the pool is hit, swimming freestyle, then you're never like, you don't hit hands. But once someone is doing breaststroke, you're going to get kicked in the like ovaries, you know, by someone swimming breaststroke the same direction as you when you're right next to each other. But, um, uh, the London aquatic center did the same thing, which that one I took advantage of. And I, I swam normal American direction, even though I was in London and I was totally prepared to swim the Commonwealth direction. <laughs> but, um, it, uh, yeah, it does take a little bit of thought, right? It is, especially when you are turning off the wall, making sure you don't like push off the wrong way. It does. Yeah. So it's, it's been testing my, my brain power a little bit, I guess. And that's, and it's kind of fun. Like you get in the car to drive and you're like, okay, left, 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 like stay left, you know, and everything like that. And like everyone in the car has to be on their game to be like, you're drifting over a little far to the, to this side, you know, things like that, but it's fun. And it's always just really new experiences, all sorts of new things to, you know, there's signs everywhere. Like keep like watch out for koalas and kangaroos so we've been searching for those Did i haven't see seen any? either yet <gasps> no but i think tomorrow like, we are going to make a stop wait no the crocodiles are further <laughs> north right i'm trying to think about i think so i feel like every animal in australia can kill you so i'm curious any giant spiders I've seen a lot of giant spiders. I will say that. And I did a trail run and I was looking for snakes and I didn't see any, but I know they were out there too. So it is, it's like a, the wild, 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 wild west kind of thing. Like I'm like looking for all these things, but I'm trying to see a koala before I take off tomorrow. So I think, how did Brianna do? I can't believe I didn't. How did she finish? Well, you said she finished. She is an ultra woman. She's an ultra woman. She is an ultra woman. She's finished fourth for the women and she was in, I want to say like 22nd overall out of 50 and did great. I mean, this was her first time running over a 50 K, um, let alone having to do that after two big days like that. And her first time swimming 10 K in an ocean. So lots of like first and personal, you know, best distances types of things there. And she just soaked it in, did so well. Um, and it was, it was really fun to see. I always love to see, you know, like humans really pushing themselves to their absolute limits. And Ultraman is absolutely an event where you get to see that for three days straight. And so it's, it's super fun and super rewarding in that and very inspiring. I have cool. to say, well, well done, Bianca. Well done coach. Great work. And so what's been going on in the U S of a, Oh, and Haley, we, we, I will say we 
are the only athlete team here representing USA. So wow. I have taken the liberties like during the crew portion for the long ride when we would get out and be like blaring music for the riders. I was playing a lot of patriotic themed songs so that everyone, you know, we were trying to represent as best we could for the US of A. But what's been going on There's at There's nothing as great as being an obnoxious American overseas. I hope you had like extra large portions of food too. That's like <laughs> the thing I'm most proud about of being American. I love our large portions. I mean, I know sometimes they get you in trouble, but we exercise a lot. So I feel like, you know, sometimes you need a lot of food, but, um, yeah, here the weather has been fantastic. I know last week I was kind of coming off being sick and I actually did take a little bit of downtime, you know, some complete days off coming out of St. George, which I wouldn't normally do coming out of a 70.3, but I I was in pretty bad shape health wise and cleared up the infection that was in my ears, hopefully. And, you know, sometimes that's what you have to do is just rest. That's the only cure for, for something. Otherwise you're never going to get healthy again. So I sucked it up and I did that. And to be honest, it was it was a hard job. No, it wasn't. I love taking days off, but, um, no, it was, I caught up on sleep and I actually did a little bit of gardening. It's a little risky to plant flowers in mid-May in Bozeman. I don't know if the snow's totally gone, but it was so beautiful. And the weather forecast looks good for like, you know, foreseeable future. So I decided it was worth the risk and I planted so did some you, flowers. Did you plant things that are going to take care of themselves for when you travel? If you have a stint or are you going to have to have like someone watch cowboy now and someone water your flowers? Oh, like yeah. is this an added, There's a plant added sitter. thing? <laughs> yeah. okay. There's a plant sitter. Yeah, no, they need watering and that's, I love it. Like, I don't know if you, I have a small patio, like I don't have a lot of space, but I just, I love flowers and they, they do kind of make me happy. And there's something about like even the act of watering and I swear, even just like putting my hands in the dirt, like it made me feel good and made me feel better, especially kind of coming off feeling not very well. And, um, you know, I've done this the last couple of years and, you know, sometimes they, they do better than others, some years better than others. And it's one of those things, but yeah, yeah, I, I have to arrange for someone to come by. It's, it's a pretty small area. It's not, it's not asking for someone to like, water my crops. <laughs> it's uh, I feel, and I have a really, a pretty nice hose and, and who wouldn't want to, they could hang out back there. It's like Shangri-La in this, like, or that's what I think in my little like patio, they could bring a book and, you know, a sandwich and take a little lunch break with cowboy. I mean, there's, there can't be, there's not much better in life than Bozeman in the summer. I will say I saw your photos of the flowers and they are beautiful. So good job on you. Um, and I just, I hope that they are like prosperous. Thank you. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, I'll check in on your plant sitter if you need someone to be like pestering them while you go. Perfect. While you go. So, yes. Yeah. Keep them in shape. Keep them in line. No, I have, I have a great, great help around here. So that is a wonderful thing about this community here. But uh, I will say coming back from it, from being a little sick. I, I did, uh, I don't know if this is, this, does taking noon immunity after you're already sick help? I figured it couldn't hurt to like, you know, uh, take immunity, yeah. get those extra minerals, get that turmeric, you know, I, I have been doing that and my voice is back. So maybe it's all thanks to noon. 
I know. And Haley, you know, I'm about to put the te- that to the test again because I don't know if our listeners can hear, but I am a little congested, I think, in the travel over. Uh, the first couple of days I picked something up. So I'm hoping to get this to exit my system as much as possible with a lot of hydration. Um, kind of all the noon products, I think. I'll just be like throwing it all into my body and hoping that I can flush out some of these bad germs. But the immunity is, you know, I, I always toss that in when I'm traveling. So I definitely have that here and we'll be using that. And I feel like in addition to that sleep, just like, like you said, taking some rest and really trying to make sure you have like that block of time to sleep and let your body do its thing. Like while you're asleep is so important. So I'm also going to be using the noon rest during this time to hopefully give my body a few days to like rest and reset because I am, I'm about to jump on a plane again and go back across the world to Virginia. So, you know, next week I'll tell you if it, if it all worked and the, the noon immunity challenge, maybe we'll call it, um, got me feeling healthy quickly again, but just a reminder, we love the support that Noon gives the podcast. And with the code IRONWOMEN, you can get 30% off at NoonLife.com. Always a fantastic product. I know that rest, that Noon rest is 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 fantastic. And I love that camp, lemon chamomile. I drink it hot. Like I add hot water. Do you add hot water or cold water? When so you- I usually add cold water. But right now when I have like a little sore throat and I'm a little like trying to get that stuff out of my lungs you know then yeah like hot tea I love hot tea and so then then I do the hot when I when I really am like feeling a little under the weather it dissolves extra fast in hot water too I've learned that if you're an impatient person and can't wait for your noon tablet to dissolve that hot water gets it going really I feel like this is also a plug for like if kids have like or if parents out there have like kids on science projects like maybe (laughs) you can like use noon tabs to do it right so it's like will it dissolve faster or you know in different types of water and different temperatures of water Ah. we would love to know the results if any of your kids do that do that option. oh my god i, like I, I love those love kind of that. experiments like if you stir it it's faster yeah temperature yeah. those are that's a fantastic or idea. shake it like yeah send like us your ribbons things, right? send us pictures of your ribbons once you win after our fantastic idea Haley, we do have a mailbag question for everyone this week and you can send us mailbag questions anytime at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And this one comes in from Lindsay and she raced Ironman Texas a few weeks ago and she finished, she did really well. She did a 10 27 there, which is awesome. Um, and she got fourth in her age group, which is like heartbreaking. I know because the top three got Kona spots and her husband got a Kona spot. So she was probably watching all of this happen and was like, no. So anyway, so she is like jumping back on the bandwagon. She's really going to try and chase down a Kona spot. And so she's going to do Ironman Mount Tremblant in August. So she's looking for recovery strategies for to be able to jump back into training um, and to be able to race strong in Tremblant because she's never done more than one Ironman in a season. And so Haley, what would you say? What would you say she should think about first here? Sleep. <laughs> what we weeks. were just talking yeah. about with myself. I mean, that is my, my my number one thing of myself. You know, when I came out of a you know a race tired and it wasn't even an Ironman. That sleep, that downtime, giving yourself that downtime after an Ironman, especially um, a marathon, takes a lot out of you. So I think that you know, sleeping, letting your body recover, and then also knowing that even you kind of feel unfit a little bit. Like I, I think it's like that two to three weeks after the Ironman. So it's probably like it is, we're about there for Ironman Texas. You start to feel really unfit, but you are not, you're not unfit. You don't lose Ironman fitness that fast. If anything, you got like a little 
you know, fitness boost from that race. So if you can keep yourself healthy coming out of that, maybe you need some new immunity, you know, keep yourself healthy coming out of that. You're already in like a fantastic spot leading into Tremblant. You don't need to go crazy. Obviously you're in excellent shape. You were fourth in your age group. It was honestly kind of just a little bit of bad luck that there weren't more Kona slots and one of them didn't roll. Like keep doing what you're doing. Don't do anything crazy. Stay healthy. And chances are you're going to be in really good shape for Tremblant. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And I will just say that, especially what I've seen from a coaching perspective is that when people get in the mindset of chasing Kona spots, right? It's so easy to get into that, that thing of like, no, I'll just do another, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll chase after the spot. And if you can take a step back and kind of let that go for a second and just focus on the controllables, focus on having another really, really good race like you did in Texas and not like just get so caught up in that Kona chase. Like it's when people kind of, I think, let that go and just race for themselves and race because they love it and all of that, that then a lot of times Kona happens. Right. But it's, I think something also just, you kind of cause yourself extra stress and anxiety and don't let yourself like race relaxed. And when you're like really gunning for those spots. And I think, I think that does hold you back. Right. When you have that extra layer of pressure on yourself. So just try and enjoy it. And yeah, I mean like you crushed Texas. So whatever you're doing is working, which is amazing and just keep doing that. Yeah, that is great advice. Like that is a hard thing with Kona slots. Like you can't control what anyone else does. You can't control who else shows up. Go have the best race for you. And it sounds like you have a trip to Hawaii coming either way. If your husband, assuming he took his slot and plans to race. So you have lots to look forward to, but it's the process of trying to qualify is you have to, you know, enjoy that no matter how long it takes. Cause you know, it's, it's, it's cool. It's cool to have a goal like that, but yeah. Have your, you know, yeah, set those process goals and go after that great finish. And like Alyssa said, if, if it all comes together, Kona will happen. And Haley, we have an interview coming on today and we kept it close to the Live Feisty family this week. We have Kelly O'Mara on to chat with us today. And so Kelly just did a handful of races to open her 29 season, 2019 season with 70.3 Oceanside, 70.3 Peru, and 70.3 St. George. So we talked to her about coming into 2019 and how all of the racing is going. And, you know, Kelly, personally, it's always fun to talk to Kelly. Just on a personal note, I will say that she actually was one of the people who really inspired me and encouraged me to take my pro card. I actually used to read Kelly's like original blog back in the day. It was like, if, um, it's always sunny. it's always sunny running, right? Or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember like she would blog a lot about like triathlon and stuff. She was racing mostly short course as a pro at the time. And then, and she like, I just remember I was like, I like this woman is someone I can be friends with. I think she was like on crutches for her wedding day. Right. And so I was like, anyone who's like willing to just crutch down the aisle, like she is, is fun. So we got in touch through (laughs) her blog. And then this is how Alyssa tries to find friends and determines who is fun. Did you wear crutches on their wedding day? How did I, I've never done that, but you still are friends with me. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so like, I can't find the word, but um, I'm impressed with myself. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, the, the spectrum of things I judge on is very wide, but that's definitely Kelly in there, made so. the list. Congrats, Kelly. 
but that original blog has now evolved so much as we all know so kelly is the mastermind behind the if we were writing newsletter that you can subscribe to and get into your email box every week um and she gives a little bit of like triathlon gossip and the like what's going on and just kind of her take on the tri scene and she also has the if we were writing podcast on that comes out on fridays with sarah gross so they talk about some of what she talked about in the newsletter. You get to hear from Kelly's mom a lot. It's a great thing. And seeing how Kelly has kind of evolved in her space and sharing all of what she thinks about the triathlon landscape has been really fun. Um, and of course, and both of those are at, at livefeisty.com, right? If people want to sign up for that newsletter, you just go to livefeisty.com and that's where they can find all the information. Exactly. And if you want to support Kelly and all of her endeavors with Live Feisty, as well as you and I, Haley, with our Iron Women podcasting and any of the other great content that Live Feisty is putting out, uh, just a reminder to people that we do have our Patreon campaign going. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Live Feisty and sign up to support us at a level for each month. And that goes to help us make sure we keep doing what we're doing um, and getting you this content. And now I think it's time to hear from Kelly. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including kicker smart trainers, Element bike computers and ticker heart rate monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. Kelly, welcome to Iron Women. It's so fun to finally get to say that to you as your day here has been like super long overdue. I know. It's uh, exciting to be on the other podcast now. So we have a lot of things to talk to you about today, but first we'll talk about racing. So you recently, we'll just pull the bandaid right off. You recently came off a couple 70.3s. First, you made an appearance at the very competitive Oceanside 70.3, and then you headed down to the Southern Hemisphere to race Peru 70.3. So let's talk about Oceanside first. <laughs> I remember that when you announced that you were racing there, you said that one of the motivating factors for you was that Daniela would also be racing, and it was a chance right. to line up against the best and to see like what happened. So I think that for me, this is something that I relate to you a lot in, that we aren't like delusional and thinking that one day we're going to win Kona, right? Like we're not going to have this massive breakthrough and like get to that point for ourselves, but we still love the opportunity to race and to race against the best. And that's like why we're racing pro. So that effort is full of ups and downs because you're not always like going to do great. And so like by virtue of doing that, you're kind of putting your, yourself in a position I've realized to like stack up some losses, right? So were you able to keep that motivating factor of like why you're there and getting to race the best in the world in front of your head, like during Oceanside? Yeah, Oceanside. Um, I mean, I kept joking that I was just there to race Daniela, but like really, I don't think I, I don't think she, uh, I was in competition for her. I don't think we were racing. I think we were like, just happened to be on the same course. Really. It was just like a good season opener. And like, it's my kind of my local race, you know, like a lot of friends do it because it's in California. Um, and I can drive to it, but it was hard cause it was, a, it was a loss. It was in the, we're putting it in the loss category for me. It was a rough day. It was a long day. And so it literally became a question of like, was I going to get laughed by Daniela on the run? And that was, uh, and I did not guys, I did not get laughed. I like narrowly, like literally I made the turn and they were calling her into the finish line. <laughs> I was like, Ooh, 
Is wait, can I ask? Just interject here. Is there any shame in being lapped by Daniela? Because I no. really don't feel like there is. She's probably the best <laughs> ever, right? She's the best ever. And I, I remember reading this like a tweet by someone who raced um, like Katie Ledecky in like a local. You know, it was like a, it was like a college dual meet and it was someone from, you know, not from Stanford, from like a, a normal swim school. And they talked about getting lapped by Katie Ledecky like several times in the, <laughs> I don't even know what it was, maybe a 500. And they were like, it was so awesome. So, I mean, are you able to contextualize that with Daniela? Cause I don't feel like there's any shame in being lapped right, by Daniela. Right, right. Well, it um, it's a longer lap than in the pool. So yeah. <laughs> it was a lot, it was a lot more time. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, I didn't feel bad about it. Uh, that was, I just was like joking that that was my goal. And like, I made, and it did motivate me in the middle of a bad shitty race to like, keep, go, keep, you know, keep it together and go faster. And then once that happened, I was like, I have no motivation for this last lap now. Uh, there's no goal left. Um, but yeah, it is an interesting question. Cause when you do, you know, decide, like Melissa said, you know, probably not going to win Kona ever. So when you decide to go ahead and race against the best people and you know, what range you can expect. Like sometimes it doesn't, you know, sometimes there are losses and you lose by like 30 minutes or however much I lost at Oceanside. Do, I don't even know. Do you think that you pushed more on that first lap knowing Daniela was oh, coming? Oh yeah, definitely. People were yelling at me on the sidelines that she was closing on me. So, would, so, I mean, in a way, I guess when we are looking at competition, like we're looking at our competition to push us and that might not, Way that we like always want it in like a way that they're lapping us, but in a way, maybe she got the best out of you out of that first lap. There you just you needed, you just needed her to run a third lap and keep chasing you. Exactly. If she could have just done another lap, that would have been nice. So, and so did it feel like a hometown crowd? Because it was surprising. I think I heard you say the other day that like there, you, you feel like there's not a lot of racing in California. And like, I feel like there's like a ton of racing in California. I'm like, what is she talking about? Like all the races are out West. Right. And so it's, I'm curious, like, yeah, I guess I just feel like there is a lot of racing and like all the time you guys can go to races and it always just feels like all your friends at one big race. It's uh, it's Oceanside, Santa Cruz and Santa Rosa. And that's like pretty much it. So everybody goes to all three, right? Because like that's the three. And obviously it's a pretty big Palm Springs, Springs, Indian Wells. I forgot about Indian Wells. That's, that's where Alyssa and I were. Herbalife, something, something like, right? Isn't there like something... Alcatraz, four races in one state. I feel like California no, is... No, no, no. <laughs> there are big races. They relaunched the LA triathlon, which is the Herbalife one. Alcatraz is big, but it costs $700 now, so nobody, it, people don't do it as much anymore. That used to be my favorite race. But, um, but with Wildflower gone, the, that company used to produce more races. The people who used to produce Vine Man used to produce more races. And so those all went away. So anyway, whatever. The point is that there's only a few and everybody does them. So when you go to those like four or five big ones, like everyone's there. So it is nice. Uh, I guess maybe that's like the perk of all of it getting like concentrated. So, okay. So we read the newsletter and we listen to the, if we were riding podcast. And so we know that you raced, you raced Oceanside and one week later you flew down to Peru and that race also didn't go exactly as you hoped, but you had this really good perspective as you're talking about Peru, both in the newsletter and on the podcast about, you know, your experience there. You raved about the community aspect of triathlon, hanging out with the other pros and you know, this after party with an infinity pool. So, um, I'm really, I want to hear more about that experience part and, you know, tra traveling to Peru and, and just 
embracing triathlon as triathlon. Yeah. Um, I mean, triathlon is like a community, right? And I feel like I've tried to explain this to my husband a few times because we were joking in Peru with, uh, do you guys, you guys had Cecilia on the podcast, right? Cecilia Davis Hayes. Yes. Yeah. So me and her were hanging out and we were joking that I told my, my husband, Cecilia, my friend. And he was like, your friend, you're not friends. You only see each other at races. You're like, that's it. That doesn't matter. You can only see someone at a race and you're still friends. It's fine. Um, so yeah, so Peru was interesting. I did Oceanside as like solely as a warm up for Peru. Peru was supposed to be like what I cared about. And I think the danger with when you do doubles back to back is it can either go well or it can go really, really badly. Right. Like if the first one goes bad, it's like hard to bounce back. So it didn't, it didn't work out, but you're down there in Peru and I have Lima's crazy. It's a crazy place. It's really, really good food. Like one of the top food destinations in the world. And it turned out just like how it worked out that there was like a squad of us all staying in the hotel and then like connected to the woman who's the race director. Cause everybody knows everybody. And like, she has the same coach as somebody, you know what I'm saying? And someone's boyfriend. So there turned out to be like, we rolled deep with like 12 people. And then the woman who was the race director just kind of knew everybody. And so she would just hook you up with, with a driver, with like a restaurant to like whoever wanted to come to eat at this fancy restaurant could come. And then, Oh, everyone has to go to Juan's after party. And I don't even know who Juan was. I, you never met Juan. I think I met Juan eventually, but I don't, but we had to go to Juan's after party and I never had met Juan. And, uh, then you, it was crazy. It was like on the top floor, you know, where, you know, the kind of thing where the doorman presses the elevator button for you. And then the elevator like opens into the party, like gossip girl style. And there's like a bartender and it was, it was nuts. Was there like music pumping? Oh yeah. And there was like one of those like infinity type pools where you can swim in place. Was like, this pros only or were age groupers no. involved? Like, was this no, like, it was exclusive, like VIP everyone, everyone at the race? No, I think it was like, uh, it, it wasn't everyone, everyone at the race. Everyone who knew Juan. Everyone <laughs> who knew one Juan. Degree, even from, <laughs> yes. it's one degree of separation of Juan. Yes. <laughs> so it was pretty, I mean, it ended up being kind of like entertaining and fun. Cause I was definitely like four degrees of separation from Juan or from any of this, but it like works out. Right. I feel like that's what happens when you go to races in places you've never been to, you end up in very weird situations. Does it seem like that's how it's always done in Peru? Because I definitely do get the feeling that in other countries I've traveled to, the after-party situation is taken way more seriously than it is here in the States. I don't know. I mean, uh, St. George, Haley's doing St. George this weekend, right? I am. And that's only an hour and a half from Vegas, so I'm planning to go to Vegas after, so... (laughs) Well, that's like Um, after-party next level. (laughs) like it's like you're in you're out of your comfort zone already like when you're racing in the United States everyone has their own rental car everyone kind of like can you know might even have like their own squad with them whereas when you're in a foreign country you're much more likely to be yourself by yourself so you're more likely to like meet people chat with people go out and like or be like hey do you want to split a cab that kind of thing and then you end up at Juan's house exactly (laughs) that's how I feel like that's what happens you like all are like hey does anyone know how to get to Juan's house and then you like all end up in this they have Uber there and like an Uber all together. And there's a dry, right. It's, it's just crazy. It's just weird. So. My mom would be like staring at the find my iPhone dot for me and be like, where are you? Where are you like in this building? And then I'd have to, I'd like have like 25 frantic calls from her from that. We, pre- we should probably caveat this conversation that like 
I feel like this, you were safe the whole time though. Like it was, it was yeah, like, yeah. it was still a triathlon party. It was not just like oh, a random, yeah. like it was, we're still in the realm of triathlon, fairly nerdy. Like people, like I'm sure there were talks about like your wheels and your bike and you know, your aero helmet during the party. Maybe. Oh yeah. No, this was all like friends of friends and people you knew. Um, yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't sketchy. It wasn't like I showed up somewhere that, you know, I had no idea what was going on. It was all triathlon connected people via, you know, the San Francisco triathlon scene. So, so Kelly, after Peru, we talked a little bit and it seemed like you were wrestling with a lot of thoughts about triathlon and your career and everything there. And then since I have a bit of an inside scoop into your training, it seems like <laughs> you took those thoughts to the bike for a few days, right? And right. you came out the other end of those days with perhaps like a different perspective. So I'm curious, is that true? How much did you ride in those days after Peru? Like how did that come about? And what realizations did you have during your time on the bike? Um, yeah, so I decided at mile four uh, of the run in Peru that I was quitting triathlon. Like not like casually, you know how you decide that every race? I decided like very realistically, I was like, I bet I can get a refund on my VRBO for St. George. I'll send my bike back to Dan. Like he does, I shouldn't have it. If I'm not going to race anymore, I'll like take, I'll call this person and take that job offer. Like I just, I was like done. And then I like, I was done. And so I didn't decide that I, I don't think I ever decided. I, I don't think I changed my mind is what I'm saying. Time simply passed. And that like conviction dwindled a little bit. And it also is clear that like some specific things had gone wrong in Peru. And so before I decide to quit the sport entirely, I should probably fix those specific things and try and at least like try again. Um, and one of the things that's been going wrong or that went wrong at our side of Peru is like, I'm not biking well, like, and I have been in training and it just didn't come out. And so we were like, well, that's weird. That doesn't really make sense. Let's do a mini bike camp and just like spend a bunch of time on the bike partially because I still like I have I have I have a new bike that's like a very different fit and it's just taking a little while to get used to even though I've been putting out plenty of power in training it just wasn't coming around on the on race day and partially also like I just I think I just miss I just haven't been riding a lot like I haven't ridden more longer than or I had not until this mini bike camp ridden longer than 320 this year like it just which isn't that long I mean I'm sure it is for people in the universe but for like us it's not that long so we did like a mini four day camp and I rode like four or five hours. Like, I don't know, four or five. I rode like 18 hours over four days is basically what ended up happening. I feel like at some point you just like, you just wake up and you're like, all right, just going to go ride my five hours. That's what we do every day. We just ride five hours. It's fine. And when you say we, this is you and your coach who yeah, made this decision. I'm, yeah. Yeah. So, um, the reason Alyssa knows this is cause I'm coached by Hillary also with Alyssa. And I think you guys were actually together when I was like freaking out. So she, you probably heard about, um, about it. So yeah, so I had a powwow with Hillary and we decided I would do like a mini bike camp, no big, uh, intensity, just like get some out, like get some time on the bike. And so I like feel better and more comfortable on the bike. And then I put in some intense, a little bit of intensity this past weekend, just to remind myself like, Hey, I don't know what the fuck happened in Oceanside or Peru, but like, you know how to ride your bike. Like, I can do these efforts. So yeah, it's interesting. It's like, it's interesting to do that kind of like mini camp by yourself. Cause I, I rode three of the four days by myself, which I train a lot. I, I train a lot by myself, but it's still like a lot of, a lot of time, like in your head. 
And what about these thoughts about retirement? I, I'm just really curious about it because I, I watched the Boston Marathon and I saw the interview afterwards with Des Linden and she said something similar. Like she said she got to my late teen and she was like planning her retirement. So right. do you think this is anything like, is it unique? I don't think it's that unique. I mean, I've honestly, I'll, I've, I've been like in the middle of a swim that's going great. And I'm like, I think this is going to be my last race. And I've had races that were going terrible, like years and years ago where I was like, okay, I have to finish because this is going to be my last race. And are these just thoughts that, you know, that we have in our head or, um, you know, or is this something that like one day is going to be true? I mean, one day you are going to be done, right? Like that's true. And I think there's also this thing happening right now where like, I think realistically, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I certainly know that I'm probably done in the next few years. Right. And not like done, like in life, like I will still do things. I will still, but then I'm going to take like a job that does not allow me the hours to train. Right. Not that I don't work now, but you know what I'm saying? Like that I'm going to have to work like 70 hours a week at some point because of the things I want to do outside of triathlon. And so when you know that that's coming, I think you just are like, okay, so is this it, is this moment it, is this moment it like, I read the thing by Des Linden or about Des Linden, where she talked about how she almost really did quit after the Rio Olympics. And she said she was running a half marathon, like some random place. And she was like halfway through it. And she was like, I, why do I care about this? Like I have, I could win this, but I don't like, not me. I, her, I, I could win this, but I don't care. I'm going to run, you know, this time. And like, that's fine, but I don't care. Like, why do I care? And that was how I felt in the middle of Peru. Um, was like, why do I care about this? Like, I just, which obviously like, it's like hard to, it's hard to encapsulate because I know everyone has those moments in races where they're like, fuck this, I'm out. Like we all do. But I just like completely stopped caring about whether I was six or seventh, you know, you're like, why do I care about this? Like I've done enough races that it doesn't mean anything to me. But continue with the Des Linden theme. I mean, right. if she had quit during that time, she wouldn't have won the Boston Marathon. I so know. does that thought, you know, enter your mind as well, where you're like, well, I don't want to quit right before things could get really, really good. Like, don't you see, want to see how things play out a little bit longer? Obviously you're doing St. George this weekend. I so know. you do want to see how things play out a little longer. For sure. I mean, that was like her whole thing, right? She basically quit running for like two or three months, like completely. And then like came back revitalized and like, which I, I think it's like a really hard balance for like a lot of the pros who are not like the top, top pros who aren't Daniela or Holly or like making, I think like ev I joke that every time we are at a race, I have a conversation with someone I've just met one of the other pros. that's basically like, I don't know, should I be done? Like, it's like the heart, it's like the heart to heart. Cause like, it's just, you want to see if you have one more like big, amazing thing in you, but you're also like really, triathletes are smart. We all have like advanced degrees. Like we all like, we know the math. We all like, we also all have other career options, right. That we could make more money. It's just, it's just, so it's just realistic or it's not realistic. Not so that's not the room. It's just practical, right. It's just like, anyway, I'm doing St. George and I'm optimistic about it because I've been like, I fixed the things that were wrong. There were some issues. I'm and you more. realize if you weren't in the sport, you'd never get to go to Juan's after party. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the things you miss out on in life. I don't, I don't know your other career options, but I imagine they don't involve infinity pools in. <laughs> so there you go. 
Um, but anyway, Kelly, we have been referencing your newsletter and podcast a lot on here and our listeners always enjoy your openness and your candidness as you have been in, you know, our previous three questions. But, um, so is it hard to share so much, you know, so much information with strangers on the internet? And is it ever weird when you meet someone in person, IRL in real life, and they already know so much about you? Yeah, that's super weird. Right. And then do you do the thing where you forget if you've actually told someone a story or if you've just like said it on Facebook and then you tell them and then you say it again and they already know it. And you're like, Oh, this is so awkward. Yeah. That happened. Or two. I've definitely <laughs> retold stories all the time, but, um, I'm like, wait, would I tell Alyssa that story? Or did I tell you? <laughs> yeah, oh. exactly. Uh, it's actually, I honestly, the, I've like told Sarah gross who does, you know, live feisty and everything that I have a heart. I even was struggling last year with like the tiny amount of, of people that pay attention to me and us. Like it was like too much for me. I was like, Holy shit. This is too many people. Like, it felt like a lot of pressure. I have no idea how like the p- people who many who are actually like have a lot of people caring about them and actually have a lot of pressure deal with it. Cause, um, I do think it's like, it is a little, it is a little weird when it goes from just being like a thing in your world to being, or in your, your, your personal life to being a thing that other people follow and care about. I feel like you probably have had this experience, right? Both of you, um, where like people you don't know are like, care if you finished a race or didn't finish a race and um and again it can be like pretty overwhelming right yeah. because it's it feels like more pressure you know and like we already put a lot of pressures on ourselves I think in that sense but then I think hopefully and it sounds like you have you've learned to like flip it around and realize that these people are just like fans right like they're right. for the most part Haley and I do talk about occasionally like the random emails we get from people who are critical but um <laughs> Like for the most part, it's, I think it's super cool to like have this group of people who are really listening to your messages and like cheering and yelling at you that they're, you know, listening to the podcast or reading the newsletter or whatever, like while you're out there racing, that's, that's, you know, I've, I've grown to embrace it. I think for me, it was definitely like a shift I had to make though. Yeah, no, it's definitely weird. Um, yeah, I think it's like a shift you have to make in your head. And I also, when you said, like you're asked if, uh, if it's like hard to share so much online, it's funny, um, Cause I was also joking with Sarah that I feel like I'm just, I feel like I'm not, I feel like I'm not sharing a ton that there's like all this stuff that like, I don't tell people. And then people are like, wow, that was so brave and real of you. And I think I'm being like, I think I'm posting like the most glamorous shot of myself on Instagram and everyone's like, that's brave. <laughs> and you're like, oh fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that's unfortunate. Well, if nothing else, it gives you a good reason to laugh, right? So (laughs) there's that. But but Kelly, one thing I also did want to talk to you about while we have you is your mom, Debbie. So (laughs) she's a fixture of the podcast with her voicemails. And I also follow her on Twitter. And I have to say, I'm like very, very impressed that I think she is one of the only moms I know who actually use Twitter like properly. They're very interesting on it. Like I like favorite her tweets sometimes. And I like, I actually click on the links she tweets. Like I, her Twitter game is on point. You follow her on Twitter. I hope it's her. She has like, she has like 50 followers. (laughs) She's great. And hopefully this gets her a few more. So anyway, through listening to the podcast, um, you know, I've also had been able to hear some funny stories about you growing up with your mom, who is, she's like, obviously a feminist. She's a teacher, but as far as I know, Debbie isn't a triathlete. So how did her raising you and like that environment kind of like, did it prep you at all to be a female professional athlete? And like, do you think like those parts of you that you had with her growing up have like 
shaped you into being more of a voice in triathlon? Yeah, my my parents are both. It was pretty. We like joke. It was pretty like first wave feminism growing up, right? Like I, I don't want to say stereotypical because stereotypical sounds bad, but pretty standard. Like girls can do anything. Go and fight the fight. You know, no scales allowed in our house because she didn't want you to deal with body image issues. All this stuff about like telling you that you're smart and hardworking as opposed to telling you that like you're pretty, right? All that kind of stuff. Um, like literally, when I was five, I was the only girl on the soccer team in Florida. It was a co-ed soccer team, but they had to like make it co-ed because I was the only girl. And then at the end of the year, they like gave trophies out to everyone. And mine was the only one that had like pigtails and boobs. It was very weird. But this is like my mom. So she would like go. And so what you knew was that she would go and like fight the fight whenever there was one. And there was there were right like there were times I would get in trouble and she would have to go in and meet with the principal and be like, no, Kelly is not go- like because I, I like refuse to do butt exercises in gym class in high school whatever right and she butt like exercise? went in back <laughs> wait yeah <laughs> we like had a class in gym class one time that was like we're all gonna strengthen our butts so we look good this summer and I was basically like this is bullshit and I got in trouble and I got detention and she like went in and was like no Kelly's right were they so. trying to have you do like squats and like donkey kicks and stuff I don't even remember. It was like some self magazine style shit, you know, like, Oh, it was bad. That's crazy. Wait, how old were you? This is when I was like 15 in high school. That's like, they didn't even, the Kardashians weren't even around then. Where did this come from? I know. But uh, anyway, okay. Shaping and toning. Is that right? Toned. (laughs) Get your bikini bot on. What kind of school did you go to? Midwestern schools. Okay. Like this is a thing. So then you got to see her, like, fighting those fights, right? And so yeah. did that, like, I mean, did that carry over into, like, non-triathlon things throughout your life? And then now it's just, like, triathlon's your focal point kind of thing? For sure. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, like, that's definitely just, like, how my family's always been. Like, my parents are. And, like, like my parent, my mom was not into sports at all. Or she doesn't play sports. Uh, my dad did. But, like, we played all the sports as kids. So I think it just kind of, like, that's you know, do your own thing, be your own person. Um, and so now it's definitely just more that like, I care a lot about triathlon and I think triathlon is like a good vehicle or not a good vehicle. It actually has a problematic vehicle, but like is the vehicle that I've chosen for like all these things I think are important about like giving women more opportunities, giving them like uh, a space, giving them a voice, like all kinds of issues. Right. We know that's problematic. Wait, problematic vehicle. Can you tell, what does that mean? Oh, I would say, well, as I was saying, I was like, oh, I guess it's a triathlon is actually not like the ideal avenue by which to like solve all of the gender problems in society because like triathlon has some inherent, like, like, haven't you heard Sarah's speech about how it's called Ironman? It is inherently masculine in itself, right? Like, and the triathlon is also small. Like it is like, it's never going to be running. It's never going to be like this mass, mass, mass participation, 40,000 people doing New York. But I think in our own small way, triathlon can affect like it's also easier to affect people directly because it is small you can know everyone it's also a younger sport so it has like sometimes when things are fucked up in triathlon like not equal you're like guys this sport's only like 30 years old like what the fuck are we doing like it doesn't have like centuries of built-in problems so like cycling anyway if i was like really set on solving gender equality issues i would probably like i don't know change laws or something but triathlon's like my own little way that i think it's important so well, we can all like do what we can in our own communities. I think that, you know, we see growth that way, but you are, you're more than just a triathlete. You are also a freelance journalist. And so I am curious because freelancing is like, to me, you know, in my mind is one of those things that is 
just as, if not more uncertain than being yeah. a professional triathlete. I think like a couple weeks or months ago, there was a jur- freelance journalist who was like tweeting about how outside magazine hadn't paid him yeah, in yeah. like two months. And then of these other, you know, journalists were like, I, two months, I haven't paid in six months. I mean, like, I think some things in triathlon are bad is, is freelance journalism even, even worse. <laughs> is it worse than triathlon? You're like, well, um, I mean, I, so I, I worked at a newspaper before I like had like a regular reporting job. You know what I mean? Like I had a staff reporting job. I just, um, I quit before I even, before I even started doing, tri- like not before I started doing triathlon, but before I was racing pro, right. I quit like totally separately to go freelance, not because of triathlon, just because of specific, like, I didn't like the job I was at. And then I didn't, like the options there were. I, there are a lot of things, like the same reason you like professional triathloning though, because you can like make your own schedule, do what you want to do, focus on the things you care about. There are a lot of good things about freelancing. Um, you can like work with the people you want to work with, do the stories you want to do. Like it is, it is stressful though. And sometimes I think that like, it's hard to combine constantly hustling for money and like knowing that it's going to be, you know, you have to, you have to always have like cycles set up, like know that you're going to have ups and downs. Like there's months you don't make any money and there's months you make a lot. You like have, like it's very stressful. And then also knowing triathlon is very stressful. I think sometimes it would be easier if there was like one thing in my life that was like super stable and not constantly up and down, but then there'd be downsides to that. Cause I'd have to be in an office and I hate offices. So yeah. So how did you how did you take the idea of you know freelance journalism? You started this newsletter. If we were writing okay. newsletter, which if anyone wants to sign up for, definitely go to the libfightsy.com website and you can see it right there on the right hand side. But you know, is that is that something that you really wanted to combine those those two loves? I mean, you write a lot of triathlon articles yeah. as well, but the newsletter is a little more personal. Yeah. Um. Uh. Newsletter like in the in the journalism world, newsletters have been hot for a few years because like you don't you're not relying on somebody on the Facebook algorithm to make sure that somebody sees something, right. You get the people, you can get like a dedicated audience who actually cares about what you are writing and who then will like, and deliver it directly to them. And so I thought that was like, uh, that's always interesting. And then I just felt like there was more and more stuff in the world of triathlon that we care about and that we were saying to each other that we all like follow news that we all talk about and we follow that wasn't being covered. And it wasn't being covered, not because like the mainstream outlets don't do a good job. Like they triathlete does a perfectly good job. Like it's just that most of triathletes readers don't care about, you know, I'm trying to think of like a good example. don't care about, uh, rolling start times between like the age group men and the pro women, right? Like, but that matters. And so it, to me, it just seemed like this was a per- way to the perfect way to have like a really niche audience that cares about these things that I think matter, but that aren't going to have a commercial wider audience. Does that make sense? Cause when you go to pitch a story to like a big magazine, you have to make a sell that like, lots of people are going to click on this and not a lot of people are going to click on Iron Man's changing. Like it's AWA rankings to test out a pro- like a plan at Louisville, right? Like that's not like a big sell for outside magazine. So I, I, I like the idea of being able to do what we wanted to do, like what I wanted to do um, without having to convince someone that it made commercial sense. And then we could talk about the things we want to talk about. And I was also betting that there were people who cared and it turns out there are, right? Like there are actually a lot of people that care about this stuff. It's just like not hundreds of thousands of people. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. And so looking at your journalism career, it's been like very widespread. I actually went onto your website. So you do write on sports a lot, but not just triathlon. You've written about CrossFit and surfing and swimming. Um, You also have written some good stuff on like news, business, health and travel, et cetera. Right. So 
you already kind of alluded to the fact that life as a freelancer, you know, you have to like kind of, it sounds like pitch that idea, right, to something like an outside magazine or something like that for it to make like, you know, to convince them that this will be a hit that people will click on, right? So I guess, is that correct? Are you ever assigned things? And I'm curious, like what your favorite thing, you know, triathlon or not, has been like your favorite piece that you've written about. And I'll go ahead and take the one that you wrote about me for ESPNW off of that. So you don't have to even (laughs) make that decision because we all know that that's your favorite clearly. (laughs) Obviously. Um, This is like the number one question people email me actually, which is like, I have an idea for a story. How does this work? Um, And then I like have to explain it. So why don't I just explain it? Perfect. Um, Perfect. So most freelancers have like a handful of places they work with regularly because they know the editors there and once you know an editor it's a lot easier because then there are variation like you can either pitch that editor and say like here are some ideas I want to write about and if you know them very well and they know you they'll trust you right if I like Erin Barasini who runs Triathlete Magazine like I know her pretty well so when I was like hey we should do a story about triathlon in China she was like that's a great idea let's talk about like she knew me whereas if I didn't know the person I was like let's do a big story about triathlon in China they'd be like who are you so if you know the person, it's easier. You can tell them what you want to write. A lot of magazines also will put out like, hey, we're doing this kind of a theme or like we have our travel issue coming up. What story ideas do you have? And so you'll like bring them some ideas. A huge amount of like the best kind of work, though, is when the editor tells you what they want and they just assign it to you because um, then you because pitching is hard. Pitching's hard because you don't know what they're looking for. You don't know how it matches up to their schedule. You don't know if they have someone already doing something like that. And you, it's a lot of work before you even get paid. Um, so it's better when, when they just like tell you what they want and assign it to you. So it's a mix of both of those, um, kind of like a variety. And so most people who freelance full time, you have to have like a, like you just have to have a few places that you have really good relationships with. Otherwise, you cannot spend all of your time just like sending cold call emails. You have to do some of that, but it would take up too much time and you would never make any money. You also generally have to have some kind of reliable contract that you know you can count on for like a third or half. So at this point, um, I would say like almost half of my work, a third of my work, a third to half is like sports and triathlon stuff. And then a third to half is straight news because that's where I came from. I worked for a newspaper. I worked in a newsroom. Like it's just like regular like, here's what happened at the city council meeting. Like, here's the law being passed. And so I still do a lot of that, uh, fill in at the radio station, the NPR station here. Um, and then you also, I also do a decent amount of content stuff, like where you write, like, you know, like every company these days has stuff on their website about like, I do like, for example, I do some for Under Armour, right? So they have on their website, like ways to prepare and dress for the cold. And I'm not like necessarily trying to sell you Under Armour clothes, but they want stuff for people to come to their website. And so content stuff is um, also very pays well. So you have to have like a balance and you have to have contracts and that's how it works. So how do you get your foot in the door? I mean, is it, is it cold calling at first? I mean, no, I mean, to get those contracts, to get those, like the editors to get to know you. I mean, is it like you write a really good piece in the beginning and then hopefully you hope that they like you and they keep you on? Yeah, you better not like fuck up the first one you do for somebody that you've never met before. That's for sure. Well, I worked, I worked at the local newspaper in San, like uh, whatever, where I lived outside San Francisco. So then that's like a then that like is a door a foot in the door step. You're like, hey, I know all this stuff about this area. Can I write a story 
for you for some bigger newspaper. I, um, and then I worked for like a, I worked for AOL for a while too, like running their sites. So it's just like, once you have experience, then you get to know other people and you just say like, Hey, here's all my experience. Can I write about something that you have a lot of experience in? And then ideally you do like a really good job. They really like you. And then they ask you for more ideas. And sometimes it's really hard to take like that. Like one time was really good and grow it into a relationship. Sometimes it's not, but that's just, it's it's just like any job where you just have to like build up the experience. It's all relationships based though. You know how it's the same in triathlon, how when a the sponsorship manager moves on or changes, all of a sudden you like don't know if you're going to have a good relationship with a new person. It's the exact same. When an editor leaves, you're like, oh, Are they measuring your success on like clicks and shares and stuff these days? Like how are they even measuring the success of it being right? An interesting question. I think that people, uh, in general, I think people have moved away from like page views uh, because page views are considered like a faulty metric because more and more you want like engagement and time on page. You don't care like how many random people came to your website. You care that like your core audience comes like really like comes a lot and engage and like engages and like comes back and returns and spends a lot of time on it. That's like what people care about more these days. The nice thing about working for like the public radio, like NPR and stuff is that the mission is public interest. So yes, they like a hundred percent pay attention to clicks and reads and listens. Um, that, but it's also like, if you do something good and it matters that that's like more important. So fun fact is that we both actually, I think at the same time, right. We were working for AOL AOL. at the same time because you were there and I remember being like, I think I'm going to take this job. And you were like, yeah, you should. It's cool. Like AOL is a good place to work. (laughs) It was so weird. Um, cause we worked for a patch or I worked for patch, which was like this then bought by AOL. And so then like they're, so I never really worked for AOL. Like I don't really know anything about AOL, but AOL gave us like all this money and poured all this money into our little, like into patch. And so then there was, then they, they blew it all on like crazy parties. It's a mystery why it went out of business or whatever. Juan was working for AOL at the time. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you can, maybe you like attract all these parties, Kate, uh, Kelly. I mean, yeah, I might have to hang out with you after St. George. So well, going back to triathlon, even though you are a pro now and you kind of, you know, you kind of talk about yourself as more of like this being a rookie pro, but I think you actually raced pro or mostly short course many, many years ago. Yeah. And so you've probably seen a lot of growth in the sport and in being professional, being age group, being professional at 70.3, um, and Ironman, like, so can you tell us a little bit about what you've seen and what are you most excited about for triathlon as a whole right now? Is there anything exciting happening now compared Um, to the past? The women are hella fast right now, which is cool. Um, yeah, no. So I raced in college. I learned how to triathlon in college. When I came out of college, I like took my elite license, whatever, but that's what they called it at the time. And like raced, I was terrible. Um, I would have kicked my ass now, like me now would kick my ass then. Um, and then I like quit for five years, like just quit the sport. And the thing is when I came back after five years, I was like, holy shit, the sport changed. Everybody got so much faster. And that was like the five years that it went crazy. Like it blew up, you know, all of a sudden you like, couldn't register for races. And I was like, wait, what happened? Why, why can't I register for Vineman anymore? This so is like the late, late two thousands, yeah. like early 2010s. So I quit in like 2009 or 10 and I didn't come back to like 14 or 15, 14, 14. So yeah. So in that time period, it was just like, Whoa. So I had to get a lot better, basically a lot better to compete. And it was like, but it's cool because like the women are so good now. And I get like, in some ways I know 
because I hear a lot from like the top age group girls, like girls in our age, like the 30, 34 age group, like it's frustrating because they know like, they're like, holy shit, I have to be good enough basically to beat somebody who could be racing pro if I want to go to Kona. Like I know it's frustrating how good it's gotten, but it's also like, like that's really cool. Like it's gotten really competitive. Like the women are really good. Uh, I also think because the women are so good, like across the board, like pro women, like the age rate, like everyone, like it, women stepped up, I feel like in the last 10 years in triathlon, it also makes me feel like there is a, like, I don't know how to say this right, but like they are as big a deal. Like the women are as big a deal in triathlon as the guys, um, even from like the casual observer who like doesn't really care. It's the women's race is exciting and the women are. And so to me, it's just like, it's really cool. And I just feel like pretty like the sport will catch up to that pretty quick. Like in the next, I, I'm giving it like two years, right? Like the, that they'll realize that there's like a lot of cool stuff happening with the women's race. Maybe we'll have equal slots at the world championships. Maybe. I'm just saying. And so not to be, a lead, not to be a leading question or anything, but where do you think we should still focus efforts to improve triathlon from what to improve triathlon. I mean, Sarah and I have talked a lot about like, it's about the culture, right? Like I think that it's not like, it's not like saying, Oh, let's get more women into triathlon. Let's get more beginners is a one and done proposition, right? It's not like, Oh, if we host this clinic for beginners, then we're done. We like did our job. Um, I think it's like a whole top down kind of cultural thing. Cause when you, maybe this is true for you, my little universe of triathlon isn't like 55 and white and male and rich. Like that's not my universe. But when you step out of my universe, it turns out that that's still like most of triathlon. Right. And, uh, and so that whole culture kind of needs to shift a little, I think, and change and like be more welcoming and it can still be super badass and grassroots and like crazy and still, and be welcoming. Um, I think a lot of people like frame those as at odds with each other. Yeah. Um, and it's not like that's stupid. I also think that like, and we've talked about this before, like there's a huge, like you and I, Alyssa, I've talked about, there's a huge money issue happening, right? Like the whole sport's contracting right now. Races are going away. Sponsorship money's going away. We know, we, we know that there's some top pros that are all going to be retiring in the next year or two. Cause like money's disappearing. And like with all the races disappearing, it super sucks because there's like not mid tier races anymore. Right. There's not like the wildflowers and the other ones that that company put on like Pacific Grove. And so I keep thinking like, so that sucks, right? Like the contracting and the streamlining and the like McDonaldization of triathlon sucks, but I think it'll get worse for a few more years. And then I think it'll get better. That's like my, that's what I keep hoping is that then eventually we will have like mid tier races, mid tier local races come back and when mid-tier local races come back, we'll ha- that'll like create a better feeder system um, and create like more of a you know ecosystem community. And I think once like too many people got into triathlon when there was a boom, and so now because it's like leveled off, a lot of those companies that that had shitty business models are struggling. And like once those go away, then we'll be back to like the companies that should be there, and then there'll be a cycle, and they'll put money back into the sport, and they'll start supporting pros again because long term we cannot like just destroy the pro race because then like what's going to happen in 10 years like like when marinda retires in like two years because she's going to right like who's going to be the next marinda carfrey if we're just like gutting the entire system um jocelyn mccauley well yeah that's true <laughs> <laughs> last weekend no no no. there's there's some women that are standing up but i i do get what you're saying i get yes. i get that the 
it is. It's interesting watching like South Africa and Texas, you know, the two Ironman regional championships we've had this year, fairly small fields for being regional championships. I think, I think there was like 12 in South Africa and 14 in Texas. And I think we've seen much, much bigger. And I think you're on there. I mean, it is, it's, it's a lot of money to travel to South Africa and I know Texas is a little bit closer, but it's still a lot to invest in a, in a full Ironman. And I hope for my sake, for our sake, that the getting worse part is shorter than the getting better part. <laughs> Well, I think the interesting thing about Texas this past weekend was there was a huge field at St. Anthony or an equally sized like field with equal big names at St. Anthony's, which pays a lot of money. There was some good people at Challenge Cancun that paid like money, right? So it's like clearly it's just, yeah, it, Iron Man didn't pay enough at Texas to get enough people there. Like that's what happened. So. Well, and it's weird now that they've changed systems that like right. – you don't need the extra points that were the championship races. It's like, it d- does feel quite arbitrary to just like call it a championship race now when there's like, I mean, the more money, but like also pros don't really, you know, if we were racing for the money, we wouldn't be in the sport. So like, that's going to attract people. Yes. But like the points to get to Kona with that system was like the huge draw factor. I thought with like the championship racing and stuff like that. Now right. it's just like, we're going to call it that. And that's what there are a true. ton of people signed up for St. George though. St. George looks like it's going to be uh, deep and intense. So, but I think a lot of the women also, I mean, this is my own opinion, but I feel like from interviewing many women, we have women who have almost every single woman we, we interview has another job mm-hmm. is in med school is doing something else. And I think maybe it's a little easier to balance 70.3 training Perfect. than full Ironman than like throwing yourself into it. And like you, like Lissa said, there were two slots, Kona slots for women in Texas. There were two slots for Kona women in like Bustleton. There were two slots in, you know, at Canada this summer. So I guess, yeah. What is, is there an extra draw for the championship race? Maybe if you're, if you're going for that 10th place where, what is 10th place, like $750 or something yeah. like, does that make a big difference in your life? I don't know. Maybe it, I would, I wouldn't say no to it, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm probably not life-changing, but, uh, Kelly, we love chatting about this and you've mentioned St. George. Unfortunately, this podcast episode will come out after St. George. So where else can our listeners, um, find you on the race course this year? And, and, and is it okay to yell at you that they read their new, your newsletter as you, you go definitely, definitely yell at me. And now you're asking me the big, like, what am I doing with my life questions that I haven't decided, but I will probably be in Victoria so that should be exciting. Well, Kelly, it was good to finally talk to you and everyone can have a listen to your podcast that comes out on Fridays and we will link to all of that in the show notes, but you can also always find all of those things at livefeisty.com, right? It's all up there. Am I, yeah. I always forget the, the exact links to send people to and then Haley laughs at me. So, but go to livefeisty.com, sign up for the newsletter. You can hear more of Kelly on the podcast and in that on a weekly basis. Talk to you later, Kelly. Bye. Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers, and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacey Sims. You're right. And do you know what Stacey Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that have the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon Hydration products have clean quality ingredients and are also non-GMO project verified, which means top quality ingredients for your body and the planet. Noon Hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. My personal favorite is Noon Sport Fruit Punch flavor. What's yours, Alyssa? 
I like the Noon Sport in the grape flavor. And our listeners can go to NoonLife.com and shop with a 30% off code of IRONWOMEN to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's NoonLife.com with the code IRONWOMEN for 30% off. All right, Alyssa. Well, I really enjoyed hearing more from Kelly. And if any of our listeners want to hear more from Kelly or hear from her on a weekly basis, they definitely should check out her If We Were Riding podcast. It comes out every Friday. You can find all the details at livefeisty.com. And if you want her in your inbox every Wednesday, her newsletter, also called If We Were Riding, like I said, comes out every Wednesday. And you can sign up at livefeisty.com. Always great content. I look forward to it every Wednesday morning. It is. It's a highlight. And I like that she sends it so that I get it in the morning East Coast time because then I get to wake up to it. And it's lovely. Perfect. I know. It's like coffee reading. It's, It's fantastic. Lots of good links and always some interesting tidbits. All right, Haley. Well, I'm going to be traveling across back over to the USA this week, and I'll talk to you next week. Uh, Safe travels, Alyssa. I'll talk to you when you're back in the U.S. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a live feisty media production. We want to thank our sponsors and partners, Noon Hydration, Wahoo Fitness, Zelios, Fen Coffee, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen.